0: The Injured Senior Podcast is here to help. Like it or not, the senior and elderly population is vulnerable to negligence committed by medical professionals, nursing homes, assisted living facilities, pharmaceutical and medical device companies, insurance companies, and everyday individuals and businesses. Your host, Steve Heisler, creator of the National Injured Senior Law Center, has been advocating for seniors' rights for over 30 years and is bringing you answers to your questions. This is the Injured Senior Podcast.
1: This is Steve Heisler, and you're listening to the Injured Senior Podcast, and we are talking to Dr. Pamela Teaster. Now, Dr. Teaster, you are an expert in elder abuse. Uh, Your wheelhouse is not just uh, restricted to public guardianships, uh, and you've written some articles about sexual abuse in residential care settings. So what kind of sexual abuse are we talking about
2: huh um that that is really a determination by a uh, statute uh, so it depends on what the state regards as what is sexual abuse but we when we did our study and i did that with um the the wonderful dr holly ramsey Klosnick, um she she and i used a a wide definition um, of what sexual abuse was, including kissing and fondling, as as um, you know, as touching, not just rape, but a wider definition, and ultimately left it up to what the state adult pro- and, and we did the through adult protective services. So whatever APS said sexual abuse was in the states that we studied, that's what it was.
1: Okay, and I mean, how prevalent is it? Uh, how much is it going on huh. as, to the best of your Good knowledge? Good question. And,
2: You know, I want to know that Um, I didn't, I have not conducted a prevalence study. My my studies are generally more on the intervention, investigation outcome side of things. Um, Of the people who have done the work on the prevalence of this 0.5%, one study got up to like, uh, the one I ever saw that was the highest was about 7%. So it's not a huge number, but again, we know that there are underreports of abuse. If this one, and I've written it, is the most taboo of all the kinds of, abu- of abuse, then wouldn't we expect that this is the most underreported of all kinds of abuse.
1: Now, in your, in your uh, research, did you find that it was more from staff or other residents or kind of like a mixture? Other residents really yes okay and yeah. can you, get- do, you want,
2: do you want to know my take on that
1: yeah, sure that's that's why we okay. have you on the show dr teaster
2: i guess you do um <laughs> so here here was an interesting thing we discovered and then we could talk about that a little so mm-hmm. what we discovered was when there was an allegation of sexual abuse by a resident in the facility that was generally substantiated when there was an allegation of sexual abuse by staff in a facility that was generally not substantiated by APS. So it was surprising that um, there was a reticence. I'm not saying necessarily that staff are sexually abusing residents, not anything, not anything like that. But I'm saying of the cases that were reported to APS, there, there were often more allegations coming in of sex abuse by staff but what came out as substantiated were were was sex abuse by residents.
1: Why do you think that is?
2: Um, I, I knew you'd ask that, um, <laughs> and I wrote about it. I think it is easier for uh, I think I think it, it's a difficult it's a difficult uh, report to investigate. I think it is easier to substantiate abuse by a resident than it is by a staff member. Um, for one thing, um, and there, when, when you use an expansive definition of sexual abuse, I think there just would be more sexual abuse, but there are more residents involved in a facility who might be sexually abusing than there are staff who might be sexually abusing. But I think, you know, when there's a, it's a staff member, it's more difficult to prove, I think some some facilities um, are, are hesitant to report a staff member. Some, most are not, but some are, but that accounts for part of that problem.
1: Yeah. Um, and it's just
2: easier to wrap your head around.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: and, but you know, for the two of those, the solutions are quite different. So, if you found in a national study like we did that the predominant sex abuse was by residents the remedies are quite different from those for staff i did wow. also find in some of the work we did some racism this was again this work was 10 years ago now but i you know but uh, perhaps sometimes staff members were blamed more readily it was just surprising some of the staff members who who were blamed and then went to courts were sometimes more often not a very diverse population but not always I, I was just surprised that uh, sometimes it was the black orderly and I thought hmm I just I'm wondering that that really yeah. could be the case not a big enough sample to make any profound statement about Steve because it was all a small number but it was just I just add that I added that in the mix of some early work that was done
1: no no that's that's interesting and and uh uh if, if that that is the case that is that's definitely that's a problem. very yeah, <laughs> yeah that's that's problematic and uh yeah now it's interesting we had dr nicole Diddick uh on the show uh, a couple weeks ago uh she is a uh gerontologist uh in uh canada mm-hmm. now it's interesting she talks about uh sex in residential settings uh, reg- residential care settings between residents and she actually says that if you know like dad gets a girlfriend in a nursing home or in an assisted living that maybe it's not a bad thing so i'm just wondering if there's like a fine line between um, sexual abuse and just two elderly individuals who are you know just developing a relationship or in a relationship did you see anything like that that maybe caught your uh, caught your your eye
2: you know uh that's a really wonderful question and of course we have to wrestle it we have had to wrestle with that and um you know um as a as an ethicist another thing in my wheelhouse uh we certainly don't want to limit the freedom of any individual, regardless of the care setting they're in, um, when it becomes problematic is when the capacity issue begins to surface. As as you know, as an attorney, um, so the so the sex abuse part, of course, comes when there is sex that is unwanted, and it moves along in in many you know to to the extreme. It's a crime. When it is kissing and fondling, I don't think anybody's going to court over that. But it's unwanted, and we classified this sex abuse. So do need to know that. For adults who are consenting, you know, why why does sex stop at a particular age? It shouldn't. And could two adults with mild cognitive impairment be consenting and have and have sex that I, that they should be able to have? Well, of course. So you wouldn't want We wouldn't want to call uh any two people at a facility even with um mild cognitive impairment people who are one person who is sexually abusing another in fact we would want to promote that i think i think we would family members i'm sure um, this professor you talked to mentioned this some of the problems lie around the family members who have a problem with that for a whole lot of reasons some care providers have a problem with that for reasons we may or may not discuss on this uh, podcast but okay. but we want to promote we do as 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 uh, adults want to promote sex and happiness and flourishing at all kinds of ages with all kinds of intellectual capacity as long as a person is able to make decisions about his or her own body um, that's what we want.
1: No, it's it's really thought provoking and uh, yeah, it's there's no easy answer as to you know it's it's something obviously we're getting you know it
2: even comes up in guardianship uh often you know i think the guardians even have a question about you know allowing should they allow an individual under guardianship to have sex with another person you know i think they struggle with that one and the answer is as you as i know you know as an attorney it depends
1: Yeah, well, if it's someone with Alzheimer's or somebody, like you said, is cognitively challenged or impaired, it gets a little more fuzzy. Sure. Yeah. Well, Pam, I know you feel like you've just been interrogated by Mike Wallace. (laughs) (laughs) I want to thank you for taking the time from your busy schedule over there at uh, Virginia Tech to be with us today uh, and all kidding aside uh, that's really good information that you uh, just gave us and um, I'm definitely gonna to wanna to have you back because there are so many different topics in your wheelhouse and things that you really do have a lot of expertise uh, on yeah, that, um, I'll, I'll,
2: I'll tell you one right now Steve that I'm working on there all they all have relationships to each other as you sure. can imagine I know your uh, listeners will recognize that um, the thing that we're working on today is working on end-of-life decision-making for people. And this is a thing called POST, at least in Virginia, it's called that Physician Orders for Scope of Treatment. And we're trying to work on that for individuals in rural areas. So often older adults who have about a year to live. And so we're doing some research on that as I speak on that topic right now.
1: Oh, that's yeah, that that's definitely a a big interest. We have a lot of listeners uh, who live in rural America. uh, And uh, so that definitely is is pertinent. And we're going to want to have you on to talk about that. Um, I will. Now, yeah, Pam, if anybody wants to get in touch with you uh, to discuss any of these topics, I know you're a professor. uh, Mm -hmm. You're not a uh, I, I don't think you practice gerontology and see patients or whatever but if someone wanted to contact you to maybe discuss some of the issues we talked about today what's the best way to reach you
2: i think the best thing to do would be able to one of two things one would be to call the center for gerontology at virginia tech and all you have to do is look on a website for the at virginia tech center for gerontology and there it will be and our wonderful operations coordinator will find me and uh, get me a message the less reliable although possible uh, thing to do is you you can easily google me there i'll be some picture who knows how many years ago but i probably still look like that if you can find my email address you're welcome to email me once in a while i lose them because i get a lot of them so that's why i would say if you have a burning question call because i know my uh, operations coordinator will get to me with that less reliable but still I get about three or four hundred emails a day. I'll usually get to as many as I can in a day.
1: Three to four hundred emails to the gerontology department? No, to me. Just to you? Yes. Wow. Well that's about uh, three to four hundred more sure emails it's about 300
2: than I get. Three hundred less than you get,
0: Steve.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you've been you've been doing this a long time, so I guess that's a that's a testament to uh, to your good work. People they want to get uh they want to get some good information and you're the person to see about that. All right, Pam. Well, uh thanks again for being on the show and uh we're going to have you back soon.
2: Steve, thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. Keep doing your good work.
1: I appreciate it. Uh injured senior and aging population community. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I want to again thank Dr. Pamela Teaster for appearing on the show today she did a wonderful job and just had just you know so much great information Uh, if you love the injured senior podcast we'd love for you to subscribe rate and give a review on iTunes Uh, if you want to share a story that you have about guardianship or any type of elder abuse we would be happy to talk to you and uh, possibly have you come on the show to tell us about your experience uh, or if you just have any suggestions or suggestions or comments about the show, you can email me at Steve at InjuredSeniorPodcast.com. Uh, I definitely respond to all emails and would love to, uh, to chat with you or, or exchange uh, emails. So until next time, I am so looking forward to next week's show, my friends. It was so great to spend some time with you. Stay safe and I will talk to you soon. Goodbye, everybody.
0: Thanks for listening to the Injured Senior Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Connect with us at InjuredSeniorPodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter. To find out more or to get help at any time, visit InjuredSeniorPodcast.com or call 855-622-6530. That's 855 855- Six two two six five three zero.